Hello, I'm Mariette Sneeman. Welcome to Calm, Clear and Helpful, a weekly podcast series on taking good care of yourself and others. My guest is Hannelie Spies, educational psychologist from Stellenbosch. Welcome, Hannelie, and thanks for joining us. Hi, Mariette. Thank you very much for having me on your program today. I feel very privileged to be able to talk about something that I'm passionate about. And just to inform our listeners, after our conversation, Anneli is going to give us her three best tips on how to support your loved one with ADHD and executive dysfunction. And then it will be fun question time. Anneli, you often work with teenagers or young adults who have attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Let's start with a brief definition of ADHD. Um, Mariette, ADHD uh, is a developmental impairment, or the big name for it is developmental disorder, of the brain's executive functioning. And the brain executive function is that part of the brain that helps you to plan, focus on, and execute tasks. So individuals with um, ADHD have great difficulty in focusing, managing many aspects of their daily life, and uh, while at the same time, they can also hyperfocus. It's very important to mention that ADHD is not a behavioral disorder, as previously thought. It's not a mental illness. It's not a specific learning disability, but it's a developmental impairment of the brain self-management system and executive functioning. So when teens or young adults with ADHD come to you, what do you look out for? I think we just need to clarify that if I'm going to talk in this podcast, I'm going to talk about university students and teens because those are the individuals that I mostly see in my practice. And the other thing is the assumption that we'll make here is that they've already been diagnosed with ADHD or executive functioning. Right. So, um, first of all, I ask myself, how does the executive functioning ADHD impact this individual's daily living? I will look at their studies, their relationship, and then their mental health. Teens and university students' lives revolve around their academics. And therefore, that is where I'll look at to see where their life has been impacted. Then I will look at the emotional functioning as well. Are they anxious, depressed, sad, down? Do they have social anxiety, low self-esteem? Do they have anger issues, frustration? Do they have relationship um, issues, guilt, shame? Um, and then I also look and see how the ADHD have affected their lifespan. Have they been bullying, misunderstanding? As with any other um, university student or team, a fix that I'll definitely also look at is how did their parents' divorce affect them? Did they have other trauma? Is there evidence of sexual abuse? Were they involved in risky behaviors? For instance, party drugs or risky relationships? That's quite a mouthful. <laughs> that, yeah, for sure that is a mouthful. So you spoke about executive functioning. How does it relate to ADHD? 
This is pretty complex. So I'm going to give you, first of all, a definition of executive functioning because I want us to look at executive functioning, ADHD, and then executive dysfunction or impairment. So executive functioning is the cognitive processes that organize thoughts and activities that prioritize tasks, manage time efficiency, and make decisions. So that is brain processes. ADHD is a biologically based disorder and a developmental impairment of executive functioning or self-management system of the brain. So then if we talk about executive dysfunction, we realize that people with ADHD have executive dysfunctioning or impairments. So they will experience uh, many areas of executive functioning, impairment or dysfunction. And you often get people that have executive dysfunction but don't have ADHD. I hope that makes sense. So let's look again. Executive functioning is just an impairment of the executive functioning of the brain. And it affects the young adult's ability to plan, organize, schedule, and to complete tasks. If we look at uh, Russell Barkley, he is the scientist that has done a lot of research on ADHD. And that came up with this whole paradigm shift. So he says that um, it is not that the individual does not know what to do. It is that somehow he does not get it done. So the ADHD person knows what to do. You have the knowledge how to do it, but you don't have the ability to actually do it. That must be very frustrating. Unbelievable. And you can imagine if you're a university student that's not at home or in a school environment anymore, and suddenly you need to um, organize your life and plan and you know deal with the difficulties um, at university. So, uh, Hanali, how can you help a teenager or young adult improve their executive functioning? So, in my practice, I follow a parallel approach of coaching and therapy at the same time. I've done a training and a coaching course in the USA, um, to support students with ADHD, executive functioning difficulties. Um, and the process that I follow with regards to the executive function specifically is I meet with them on a daily basis because with executive function, accountability is very important. So the student and I will plan together. They will need to buy into the process and then we plan and set goals and they check in on a weekly basis. So the executive functioning approach is quite hands-on. Um, we explicitly plan their year, their month, their week, and their day. I teach them, uh, I call it the 3-3-3 method, where they divide their day into smaller sections and smaller parts, and we make sure that they take um, breaks more often. Um, I explicitly teach approaches to studying, breaking the study tasks in smaller parts. Um, we use sticky notes, alarms, reminders, calendars. And I often um, inspire them to get an accountability partner, for instance, a study buddy, 
and make them aware of the importance of rewarding themselves on a daily basis because that's very important for the for the ADHD brain. And then we also, depending on the individual, we as soon as their life in order will start with therapy. And I often see um, with, say, students that have anxiety that as soon as their life is in order, their anxiety becomes less. Then living with ADHD also poses other challenges other than executive dysfunction. Which emotional challenges do you see when working with these young people? You, Mariette, I've seen that ADHD, people that have been living with ADHD had way more um, social, emotional problems than one realized. Um, because ADHD is not um, a, like a physical impairment where you can see that there's something wrong with the person. So often they go throughout their life without support. Um, so when I see them in the practice, they get referred for anxiety, social anxiety, panic attacks or depression. And um, by further investigation, you know, I realize it's actually the effect of the ADHD and the fact that they didn't get support that affect them, you know, emotionally. So exam anxiety is often a huge problem. Throughout their life, they've been misunderstood, been criticized for being lazy or intrusive, loud or impulsive. They often get compared with their siblings. They get bullied. Um, then because of the pain, they, um, they delve into self-harm. They have low self-worth. They have problems with addictions often. And um, then also lying because they, that is a way of protecting themselves. They actually say that there's a, um, if we think about the, the responses, fight, flight, and fright, with ADHD, there's an extra one, uh, um, FIB, that stands for fabrication, uh, which is lying because they actually try to protect themselves. And then, of course, the other um, things that I also see is rape, grief, and sexual abuse. That doesn't necessarily relate to the ADHD, but that's that's also challenges that I'll see in the practice. Yeah, so you not only look at the executive functioning, but you also look at a wide array of possible emotional challenges. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that is um, a very important aspect of um, ADHD to... Um, look at the effect it had on them. And from a broad perspective, how do you go about treating this type of issue? Um, as I said, in my practice, I look at a parallel approach, so therapy and coaching. And if we look at specifically the emotional aspects, it all depends on um, individual cases, of course, because there's layers to um, emotional problems. But in a nutshell, I, um, first of all, will explore their problems quite intensively in the first session. Um, and usually in the first session, an individual shares a lot because there's a build of a lot of pain, confusions, and emotions. So I might take a lot of notes, listen carefully, and then ask them a lot of questions. 
one of the things I always ask me is, what does this behavior mean? And where does this pain coming from? You know, so if somebody comes to me um, with a referral of depression, I will ask myself, where is it coming from? Because as I said, the effect of ADHD is huge. Um, and that actually builds up to a place where they experience anxiety, um, often panic attacks um, and depression. So what I'll do then is I will go back to the first or the worst memories of their childhood trauma. And what I always say is trauma doesn't mean that it always has to do with a situation where your life has been in danger. But if you have been misunderstood or isolated because of your poor um, social skills or because of your underachievement, that's experienced as trauma for a, for a child growing up as well. And um, at the end, that actually caught up with you and it caused huge emotional problems. So a parent might think that nothing in inverted commas, bad or dramatically bad has happened to the child. But in fact, as you said, just being made fun of could have caused trauma. Absolutely. Um, I'll go so far as to say that somebody that has been bullied has been affected in the same way as somebody that has been raped. Because if you're being bullied, you actually freeze. And there's often that same guilt of not being able to do something or not being able to stand up for yourself. And somebody else has actually taken advantage of you and almost have taken control of you without you being able to do something about it. Yeah, so I agree. The, the effect is, is huge. You know, we often, um, I often have to say, to students if they tell these stories um, and they say to, they will tell me it, it sounds so stupid for me to tell you this but I'll tell them for you as a child it has been huge because to be isolated as a child or disregarded because of your marks that's a you know it's huge for a, for a child yeah, it sounds as if they, in some cases, probably experience complete understanding for the first time. Oh, for sure. That is one of the, the, the diagnoses where I, I feel it's very important that they understand and know that they do have ADHD and what it entails. You know, it brings a relief in their life to understand, you know, that there's not something wrong with them per se. Yes. And Hanali, you offer psychotherapy mainly using brain-working recursive therapy. Uh, can you tell us how you came to BWRT? Sure. Um, Maria, that's actually quite a, a personal story. I actually woke up one morning and felt extremely depressed and stuck in those um, emotions. Um, and I realized that I need to go for therapy. And throughout my life, I didn't, obviously didn't dealt with my emotions properly. I talked to friends or family, but I've never addressed the core problems 
and that caused me to just suppress what I felt and I had to go for therapy and I heard about BWRT and um, I went for therapy at Rafik Lockhart and actually in four sessions I felt extreme shift in my emotions and um, I've just decided there and then I'm going to um, learn everything I can about BWRT and that is the therapy that I'm going to use. And since then, that is what I've been using. And why does it work for you? Um, Mariette, BWRT goes right into the core of the emotional problem. Um, and it gets rid of triggers in our life. So different from more traditional therapies, it actually goes into the subconscious and it goes into the place where negative associations with regard to situations have been formed. So for instance, suppose you weren't good in math and your teacher hit your head against the wall because you didn't, couldn't do a, um, some or other calculation. So later in life, somebody might ask you to do a calculation and, and then suddenly you just freeze. That is what we call a trigger. So in another situation, you are asked to um, work you're at a restaurant. You need to calculate what the bill is going to be. And suddenly you just freeze and you can't do the calculation. That is also a trigger. So with BWRT, we'll go right back into that trigger and get rid of that trigger. So specifically when working with ADHD, for instance, BWRT get rid of all those triggers because of the effects of your ADHD. So how exactly do you use BWRT as an intervention in emotional challenges? Um, so when the individual come to me for therapy, they have a history of failure and misunderstanding. In school, for instance, there has been structure um, and they often did very well in school. So when they come to university or college, they go from zero to zero. And then because of the challenges there, they end up being depressed, anxious, have a slow self-esteem, self-worth, or often anger issues. So with BWRT, we will go right back to the root root causes and those feelings that's attached to that, or the, those responses that are directly related to the root causes. And we target each of those memories with BWRT. Is it difficult for a student to know what the root causes are? Can you help them to get to those root causes? Mariette, often the, the questions that are asked them are directly directed in such a way that it, it will elicit some thinking. If somebody has anger issues, I will already postulate in my mind that something has caused them, has caused the anger issues. So then I'll 
I'll ask myself, is that because they've been bullied? Is that because of the misunderstanding or because they've been screamed at by their mum, say, for instance, or got a hiding from their dad, and they've been placed in a situation where they felt out of control? So then I'll start asking specific questions to elicit some answers from them. And, you know, often I find that if they start with therapy, at first they might be uncertain. But as the therapy goes on and as I explain to them how BWRT work and they have an understanding of it, they start thinking about it and, you know, can come up with reasons. I also ask them to make a list of certain uh, difficult situations or um, problem situations that they remember or memories painful memories that they remember starting from um, before school and you know often um, they remember things from when they were two years old you know to answer your question I direct my my therapy in such a way that it elicits some thinking um, and where they will come up with possible reasons or painful memories that sounds very practical. Yeah, BWRT is, um, Terence has formulated BWRT in such a way that it's very practical and useful and very directed. So, yeah, it is, um, it's a very um, practical therapeutic framework to use because there's actually also, for instance, protocols that you follow or there's specific intake interviews that you can use to um, come up with the correct answers or to solicit some um, thinking by your by your patient or client. Could you give us an idea of the process involved when you work with BWRT? Okay, I'll, I'll explain it in a very simplistic manner. As you can imagine, therapy is not this simplistic mm. and it all depends on the individual and often there's a lot of layers to problems. So when I use BWRT um, to target the emotional and mental health problems, during the intake interview, I will get as lot of uh, um, information regarding to the current problem as I can. And then I'll look at the challenges and the history of the problem. So I will um, look, for instance, at anxiety, the social anxiety, depression, or the self-worth, and then ask myself where it's coming from. And I ask the the, uh, the client to make a list of their worst memories with regard to the related problem, as specific as possible. So, for instance, a teacher screaming at them in class, they've been teased at their peers, they're compared by their parents to siblings, the assignments that has been late, been rejected by their peers, or they talk too much in class, impulsive behavior where they hurt someone, or then often risky behaviors that result in rape or sexual abuse or often accidents. So um, in the therapy in BWRT, we basically look back at each of these memories and we use uh, um, the BWRT technique and specific protocols to work directly on those memories and to, as I said, neutralize the effect of that on their functioning and to neutralize the triggers. 
it sounds to me as if you go through it uh, very systematically. Do you take issue after issue until the person feels much lighter? Uh, yeah, basically, I will um, focus on two or three issues in a session. And if you think about BWRT, and I know that you've spoken to other therapists in previous podcasts, yes. but um, BWRT is basically a neural pathways that have been laid, like in a computer. You know, if we think about the brain, we'll think about it as a computer where there's certain patterns, um, which is our neural pathway. So we have the, the hard drive and we have our screen. So the screen, if we look at the screen, we think about that as the behavior that we see. So for instance, aggression or anxiety or depression. So that is just what we see on the surface. But our hard drive, our brain, has been corrupted, if I can say it in such a way, by our experiences and neural pathways have been formed. So if you work on each of these um, trauma, so to speak, then that that rewire on neural pathways in such a way that it doesn't trigger us anymore. That sounds very encouraging. And how do your clients react to BWRT? They mostly love it, Mariet, and they often surprise. Um, you know, and it feels like magic. Um, and I know if you listen to it, it almost feels you know, it can't be true, but as I said, I've experienced it myself and that is why I um, learned BWRT because of the effect it had on my my life. So the result is instant. You can actually neutralize or change your association with a specific event immediately. It has immediately results. So, which is good for ADHD, for instance, for the ADHD brain don't like long winding situations mm. and I think what's very important is they feel better in every session so you know what often with talk therapy you walk out of the therapy more depressed than when you went in because things aren't resolved it takes a long time res to mm. resolve but with BWRT something gets resolved in each session and um, yeah, the triggers disappear, and then eventually, one day, you'll realize, oh my word, I don't feel anxious anymore. Or I don't have social anxiety anymore. I can actually go to the NLC without fear. And the NLC is the university um, center mm. in Stellenbosch. And it's a permanent solution, isn't it? It is because it's neurologically based and it's based on neural pathways that have been rewired. So it is permanent. I mean, you can definitely be exposed to trauma again. But if the trauma that we work on, it's a permanent change on the specific traumas that we have addressed. Mm. And now we've been talking about young people with ADHD and how BWRT can be applied to the emotional challenges. Do you perhaps have a typical case study that explains all of this? Yeah, I've actually brought two. 
um, that would be typical. One is where somebody hasn't been um, diagnosed with ADHD and I've done the diagnosis and then the other one has already been diagnosed. So the first person we're busy with her master's degree and academically actually did extremely well. And she has been referred for depression and anxiety. Um, the person had a history of addiction, self-harm, risky behaviors, and eating disorders. And she has had different diagnoses, one um, which has been borderline personality disorder. Um, and what I've also have realized is that she had troubles in her relationships with her family specifically. And she always says, a history of we've always been late, procrastinating, emotional dysregulation. They called her the drama queen. And after we worked for a while on um, her anxiety and her um, the trauma that she has had growing up, I sensed that she had um, undiagnosed ADHD, which we then did an assessment on. And, and, you know, we t took the process further. For her, it was a real um, insight. I've actually sent some videos for her to go and look at because I just said I sense and I think she might have ADHD. I just want her to, to think about it. And sure enough, um, she had ADHD. I always refer a patient to a psychiatrist to make a final diagnosis, of course, because there's a lot of co comorbid diagnosis that can be attached to it. Um, but it has been so uh, such a relief for her to realize she has ADHD and understanding her emotional problems so much better um, and realizing there's not something wrong with her, per se. Um, and understanding, you know, mm. where her behavior is coming from. Yeah, so I always feel um, with ADHD, medication is very important. It should be an approach where we use therapy, coaching, and medication. So that is the one. The other um, that I want to, other example that I want to use is a young man that has been diagnosed with ADHD, but have been referred to me with depression because that was a typical from zero to zero situation where he failed his first year, um, had social anxiety, didn't attend classes, um, actually watched YouTube, binge watch series, play video games and had a porn addiction. So this is something that you often see that they'll watch a series and play video games at the same time. So then this YouTubing and series watching become their addiction and they hyper focus on that, you know, because you will always hear people will say, but they focus on the video games all day. So that is the interesting thing about um, ADHD and executive functioning. They hyper focus because that's immediate gratification and that keeps their attention. While if they have to study, I mean, that's boring tasks. And if they're not interested in that, it's very hard for them to continue with those tasks.
so with this boy, we worked on with BWRT through all his childhood trauma of teasing and bullying, the comparing to the siblings, the misunderstanding, the name calling, you know, lazy and unmotivated. He's been a little bit overweight, um, therefore didn't take part in sport. Um, and the, all of this caused social anxiety um, because life became threatening and people became threatening. So then again, BWRT, going back to all those situations that has been difficult, all those memories, neutralizing that effect, and slowly but surely introduce him to going back to university life again. Yeah, and so that is just two cases, but um, you know what, that is what we typically see. Yes, if those are typical cases, it sounds as if the therapy and coaching really make a huge difference. And then, of course, the medication. Yeah. Hanali, where can people learn more about BWRT and about your work specifically? I have a website, um, uh, and it's called hanalispies.co.za. It's H-A-N-N-E-L-I-E-S-P-I-E-S dot C-O dot Z-A. Um, that's my website, but uh, BWRT South Africa also have a website, which is bwrtsa.co.za. And um, there's a worldwide website as well, um, www.bwrt.org. Yeah, and, I, and I've given, I've sent you some links, and I believe you would post some links as well. Yes, I will certainly do that. We'll have all the links um, attached to the podcast. Thank you. And now for your three best tips on how to support your loved one with ADHD and executive dysfunction. I think one of the first and foremost very important aspects is that you need to understand ADHD and executive dysfunctioning so that you know how it affects your loved one and to have the understanding that it's not that they don't want to do whatever they need to do. It's that they don't have the ability to do it. So, for instance, not trying to teach them more but to practically help them Um, And that's where the second part comes in, to support them with their planning and their organization, to know that they have the knowledge to do things, but they cannot execute what they know. So it doesn't help to explain them what they should do. You should help them to execute it and to advocate for them. Um, And then the third thing is to be patient and to know that They have a desire to do well, but they just can't. Thank you. I think the understanding will make a huge difference. Absolutely. And now it's time for your fun question. Can I go ahead? (laughs) Yes, you can. Uh, Hanali, we've never met, but I've seen some photographs of you. And you're one of those women who are blessed with beautiful hair. Well, thank you. This made me wonder, in in a wacky, make-believe world, this now is just for fun. 
If your hair could be made of something else for an hour or two, uh, say something edible or something that you find really lovely and would like to feel on your head, what would it be? What would you like to have for an hour or two instead of hair? Yeah, you know what comes to mind immediately is candy floss. <laughs> yeah, oh. I would like pink candy floss hair. Because I always thought if I'm a teenager now, I would have colored my hair pink. So I think edible candy floss hair, that's what I want. <laughs> that was right in the target. So thank you, Hanali, for your time today and for sharing with us what I believe is good news. Thank you, Mariette. I um, really appreciate that. As I said before, I'm very passionate about my work and I'm passionate about, about the, uh, the clients that I'm working with. And to our listeners, thanks for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with someone you care about. If you'd like a more fulfilling relationship with your beloved, if you wish parenting could be easier, or if you're interested in upping your emotional well-being, you're welcome to visit my website, mariettesneyman.co.za, for free articles and podcast episodes. Calm, Clear and Helpful is compiled, hosted and edited by me, and the music is by Mart-Marie Sneyman. Catch you next Tuesday at 9.00.